When I became a member of the United Methodist Church in 1975, the confessional prayer with which I was most familiar was the general confession found in the order for the administration of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper or Holy Communion within the Book of Hymns, first published in 1964. On Communion Sundays, I bowed and prayed as many United Methodist Christians did then. Almighty God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, maker of all things, judge of all men, we acknowledge and bewail our manifold sins and wickedness which we from time to time most grievously have committed by thought, word, and deed against thy divine majesty. We do earnestly repent and are heartily sorry for these our misdoings. The remembrance of them is grievous unto us. Have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, most merciful Father. For thy Son, our Lord Jesus Christ's sake, forgive us all that is past and grant that we may ever hereafter serve and please thee in newness of life. To the honor and glory of thy name, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. After saying that prayer, I often felt sure that I had said a mouthful, so to speak, but I seldom felt I had confessed what was in my heart. At the time, it was not my practice to confess in any other way. I had heard the saying, confession is good for the soul, and I had read in the Bible, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man has great power in its effects. The Bible's book of James, chapter 5, verse 16. I had even reflected on the line in the Lord's Prayer, Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. But my hearing, reading, and reflection had not yet motivated me to incorporate prayers of confession in my personal habits and disciplines. The publication of the United Methodist Hymnal in 1989 introduced me to this liturgy, the confession and pardon found in the service of Word and Table. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors, and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. In a short time, I grew to cherish the liturgy's invitation to pray in silence, and its statement of pardon read responsibly. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners, and that proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. Somehow this prayer of confession helped me to feel the burden of my heart rolled away. I began to contemplate the implications of my freedom in Christ and the meaning of joyful obedience in my life. Hello, I'm Roger Short, an elder in the North Alabama Conference of the United Methodist Church, and I'm honored to welcome you to Pray Together, our conference's podcast ministry, exploring a different way to pray every week. Thank you for listening. As you may have guessed, this week's topic is Prayers of Confession. Since I've already shared some of my personal experience with formal prayers of confession, I want to talk about biblical foundations for the practice, a little about its history, and finally about being encouraged through confession. So let's continue. I've already cited one biblical source that encourages believers to confess, the Bible's book of James, chapter 5. Another is 1 John, chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, the gospel writer writes, 
He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. The fact of the matter is that we have all sinned, as the Bible's book of Romans states, chapter 3, verse 23. We need God's forgiveness, and confession is one way of accessing it. When Simon Peter saw his fishnets bursting with a catch, he said to Jesus, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. He confessed, and Jesus dealt gently with him. Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. Jesus didn't employ words of absolution with Simon Peter. He acknowledged the man's fears and gave him a new hopeful vision. My guess is Simon Peter knew he had been forgiven in that moment. To this point, I've shared a few of the New Testament's references to confession. What about the Old Testament? It turns out there are many references. Confession of sin was part and parcel to the ancient Hebrew sacrificial system. We find it mandated in the Bible's books of Leviticus and Numbers. The book of Psalms records this gem. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Psalm 32, verse 5. And the Bible's book of Proverbs translates the experience of the psalmist into a wisdom statement. Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13. Clearly, the Bible supports the practice of confession. Both the early church and the desert mothers and fathers taught and practiced prayers of confession. Here, for example, is a prayer of confession written in the 4th century by Ephraim the Syrian. O Lord and Master of my life, Take from me the spirit of sloth, despair, lust of power, and idle talk. But give to me your servant, the spirit of chastity, humility, patience, and love. O Lord and King, grant to me to see my own faults and not to condemn my brother and sister. For you are blessed unto the ages of ages. Amen. As time passed, the church developed formal sacramental systems for the dispensation of divine grace. Penance, or confession, became one of the seven sacraments practiced in both Eastern Orthodoxy and Roman Catholicism. Martin Luther, the father of the Reformation, leveled a critique of penance as it was being practiced in Western Europe in the 16th century. Confession had been abused and corrupted for many years, so he restricted the sacraments of the Lutheran Church to these two, baptism and Holy Communion. But after reforming the sacramental system in Germany, he continued to practice personal confession for the rest of his life. Because confession is valued in Christian tradition, because it's grounded in Scripture, because I've experienced some of the blessings that come from confession, personally, and because it makes good sense to me, I choose to pray confessional prayers on a regular basis. One of my disciplines is simply to review the day, paying attention to the times and places when I felt distracted, guilty, angry, or bitter, identifying when and where I failed to be my best self, failed to do the best work, or failed to speak godly words. I confess my wrongdoing and ask God's forgiveness. 
if it is possible to do so without making things worse, I ask forgiveness from the persons I have wronged and make things right with them as much as I am able. Here's another discipline. I read prayers of confession written by others, and I pray them. Often I have found the prayers of confession written by other people to be particularly meaningful. The Holy Spirit seems to convict me through others' words when my own words only seem to hinder the Spirit's work within. I'm not sure why this is so. It may have something to do with my own inclination to deceive myself. You know, I'll pray lots and lots of confessional words, but never get down to the sin that another person writes into the very first line of his or her prayer. So praying other people's confessional prayers has become important to me. I have one more prayer practice to suggest. Praying prayers of confession with a partner. I found this discipline in Patricia D. Brown's book, Paths to Prayer. Brown writes, you will need a partner for this prayer. This is called the one two two one prayer. That is one minute of silence, two minutes of confession, two minutes of confession, and one minute of silence. In this prayer of confession, share as you're comfortable. The time constraints necessarily keep it short and to the point. There's no need to elaborate. God already knows the details. Of course, be truthful in your own heart about what you have done or what you have failed to do, and then speak it in a way that is comfortable to you. When your partner shares with you, ponder it in your heart. Hear it as the sacred confession that it is, and allow it to flow through you to God. Sit facing another person. The purpose is to listen attentively to what your partner tells you. Receive his or her story as a gift without much comment or questioning. Begin with one minute of silence between you as you contemplate and pray on this question. What is some way you have felt you let God down on your journey since we last met? The answer may be something very simple, such as losing your temper or not responding to a need. After the minute of silence, give two minutes or so for each person to share his or her confession. One of you should serve as the timekeeper or Set a timer to keep track. After both of you have shared, spend at least one minute in silent prayer. Closing your eyes, picture the face of your partner silently praying for that person and lifting up her or his concern to God. Or you may prefer to offer a sentence prayer for each other. Oh, the discipline of a single sentence. Keeping your prayer to one sentence saves you from the temptation of projecting your own interpretation on the matter. The sentence prayer should simply restate what the person has shared with you and include her or his desire to seek God's forgiveness. The prayer could be something like this. Dear God, I know you heard what my partner shared about losing her temper with her daughter, and she asks your forgiveness. Amen. Whether you pray aloud or silently for each other, close by praying this prayer aloud in unison. Go and sin no more. In the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. When you're ready to give your friend some sign of Christ's peace, such as a handshake or the benediction, the peace of the Lord be with you, or a hug, then do so. And that's it. Now I encourage you in your prayers of confession whether you pray alone or together, from the heart 
or from a book of prayers, may God bless you now and always. I want to close with a reading from The Inward Journey written by Howard Thurman. It's a reflection, uh, maybe not exactly a prayer of confession, although by the time I get to the end of the reading, I feel as though I have confessed. It's titled, Thou Hast Searched Me and Known Me. Let us pray. In all places where I have dallied in joyous abandon, where I have responded to ancient desires and yielded to impulses old as life, blinded like things that move without sight, where chores have remained chores unfulfilled by laziness of spirit and sluggishness of mind, where work has been stripped of joy by the ruthless pruning of vagrant ambition, where the task has been betrayed by slovenly effort, where the response to human need has been half-hearted and weak, where the surge of strength has spent itself in great concentration and I have been left shaking reed in the wind, where hope has mounted until from its quivering height I have seen the glory and wonder of the new dawn of great awakening, where the quiet hush of utter surrender envelops me in the great silence of intimate commitment, thou hast known me. When I've lost my way and thick fog has shrouded from my view the familiar path and the lights of home, when with deliberate intent I have turned my back on truth and peace, when in the midst of the crowd I have sought refuge among the strangers, when things to do have peopled my days with mounting anxiety and ever-deepening frustration, when in loneliness I have sat in the thicket of despair too weak to move to lift my head, thou hast searched for and found me. I cannot escape thy scrutiny. I would not escape thy love. Amen.